0: Here we go. Season 7. All aboard! If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66-book canon. We believe in a 66-book canon. There is no more. There is no less. It's 66 books.
1: That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means.
0: In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic.
1: The the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the the horizon of the faith of our father abraham is no different right. no no it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith
0: in other words the, that the salvation family. was salvation was the same for abraham as it is for us today. right November eleventh, twenty twenty. This is Messiah Matters. Number three, two, one. I got a new soundboard. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs>
1: hey, I'm thankful for veterans. It's Veterans Day. I've got veterans in my family and friends that are veterans. So thank you all. And we know that I know many of our listeners are veterans. So thank you for your service.
0: We choose truth over facts. In uh, congratulations to the now president-elect Biden. I have—that's not official, homie. What okay. are you talking about? Okay, whatever. Um, come on, man. 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 Get a life. Uh, somebody sent me a new soundboard, <laughs> and it's all of President-elect Biden's uh, different uh, different sound bites. And so uh, we're going to have fun with this today. (laughs) I'll
2: call polluters
0: accountable. That's right. Anyway, uh, hey, thanks everyone for tuning in with us today. We are happy that you're here with us. Uh, Let me, before I forget, we want to thank also not only the veterans but also our producers who you can now see at the bottom of our screen and everyone who supports this show. Uh, We are grateful that you support this show and that we are able to continue to do it. And we're going to be entering into... Season 8 here at the beginning of December. And uh, that means some kind of a new intro. I got ideas, but I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. So, yeah, exciting times. These are exciting times. Um, you know, people have been utilizing our our um, call-in number. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can do so. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And you're not going to talk to us. You're just going to leave a message and tell us how much you love us, hate us, disagree with us, agree with us, ask questions, do whatever you want. It's a comment line for a reason. You can also send us email, chegg at Torresource.com. It's chegg, C-H-E-G-G, at TorahResource.com. And of course, Torah Resource is full of all sorts of great things. By the way, I'm going to give you a little bit, a little bit of a, a, a tip here, everyone. Here's a tip for you. Torah Resource is going to have a huge sale on Black Friday. That's right. It's a huge sale. So leading up to Black Friday, you're going to have 25% off store-wide for the week prior to Black Friday. But then on Black Friday, if you hold out to Black Friday, (laughs) extra savings. Extra savings. If you don't want to buy anything from us, that's totally fine. You can just do us a favor. Go slap like another Davey 504 reference and uh, smash the subscribe button, as the kids say these days. (laughs) smash smash the subscribe button that's Uh, so last week that's i know it might not seem like it's doing anything but if you subscribe to this youtube channel you're saving baby animals that's that's what you're doing i don't know how but that's that's what i'm gonna say okay um let's get your or
1: you're supporting enthusiasts of shows that go around (laughs) saving baby animals.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Our
1: kick right now, we're watching this Arctic. It's like, it's like, uh, she's a veterinarian in like Yukon, Alaska. And it just, I mean, that's what it is. She goes and helps like all sorts of animals that are, you find in Alaska and you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, um,
3: what that, are we talking
1: about? I admire vet. You know, I thought it was Veterinarian's Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, it's oh, wow. Veterans Day, obviously, okay. as we already said. Okay. Uh, sorry. We, die, you're, you're, we
0: die, uh, we're, die. We're getting into some weird stuff I divulge. I divulge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I forgot to grab this email, and let's see if I still have it. So, uh, yeah, I do. Okay, good. So, I'm going to read this email, too. Um, last week, we talked about Luther. Somebody brought up, somebody made a claim. Somebody made a claim, and the claim was that that uh, Luther said you could uh, commit adultery a thousand times and still go to heaven. Now we instantaneously said uh, that this was a misquote of some proportion. Um, We didn't know what in the world the person was talking about, but we put you guys on the case. The chat room was on it Um, as soon as the show was over, and I do mean as soon as the show was over we got uh, a, a, a message from Elizabeth, and she sent a link. She said this might be what they were referencing. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the link that she uh, gave on the YouTube video. If you're not watching this on YouTube, then you can go to YouTube and find and find this article. Did Luther really tell us to love God and sin boldly? Now this is, by the way, is by one of my favorite church historians of all time. He's probably around my age and still alive. He wrote this on April 20th, 2016. If you don't follow Ryan Reeves on YouTube, you are missing out. And I'm not joking. Ryan, I'm actually currently trying to enroll in one of his classes. He's a um, professor, Gordon Conwell College. And I don't really care about getting a degree or taking more more classes than that. I just want to take a class from him because he is so good. I highly encourage you to, to go watch his videos if you're interested in church history. It's amazing. Anyway, he wrote this for the Gospel Coalition back in 2016, April 20th, 2016. And Ryan Reeves, he writes also for Ligonier Ministries from time to time and, and other places. Um, he says this, he says, When Luther wrote, Love God and sin boldly, it was 19, uh, It was 1521, and it had only been several months since he stood trial for his Reformation. The quote occurs in a letter from Luther to Melanchthon, which Luther wrote in the Wartburg Castle, hiding out to avoid execution. Obviously, he had not worked out every issue of the divide between the old faith and the Reformation. And if it was hard for Luther, it was doubly hard for his advocates back in Wittenberg without their leader. Now, uh, Reeves is going to go on. He's going to actually quote the letter itself. Um, And the passage in question says, um, well, I mean, I'm going to do it in justice no matter what, but he says, If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong, or, uh, in brackets, or sin boldly. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ, who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. And he goes on. Um, Reeves then gives his uh, exposition of this of this letter. Um, I think it's worth reading and he basically says, uh, be very cautious. This is just a fragment of the letter itself. Be very cautious of, of uh, proclaiming that that um, you know, Luther is actually telling people to sin. Um, so there's that. Another the core
1: e- point, the core point there is yes. so important. Yeah. is that when we and this this could tie back into levitical priesthood even in contrasting levitical priesthood with yeshua's priesthood it's dealing with real sin right yeah so the idea of repentance has to do with real sin not not imaginary sin yeah and why is that important because because there's a cost yeshua yeshua's blood right paid a a real cost right it's not like imaginary yeah i I think that's a there's a real core point there that rings true i i
0: yeah i think that the ultimate point that luther's making and i could be wrong on this i'm not i'm not the historian that reeves is and, and once again i would i would refer you to reeves article but i think that he's saying look you sin greatly And you will sin greatly because you're a sinner. And that's your nature. But Christ's death overcomes all. In other words, if you have faith, his death is more powerful than your sin. I think that's what Luther's actually getting at in the quote. uh, Nicola, Nino, sorry, Nino uh, responds as well. Nino says, responding to the person who misquoted Martin Luther, there are many texts of Luther where he mentions the word thousand or Even 100,000 below is a direct quote by Martin Luther and then he actually gives us the German Which I can't read uh, But then he translates it for us as well It says I say tomorrow. I will become pious, but nothing will come of it I have lied to my dear God a hundred thousand times That's why I got away with my flesh that nothing more the sinful man but I uh, I comfort myself that I was baptized on the man who said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So once again, it's the same kind of idea. Uh, and uh, Nino goes on, in other words, Martin yeah. Luther does not say that we can sin because we believe it is already forgiven. Rather, he says that sin has no power over us, for we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ.
1: And here's, here's a back to this other point. Contextually, Luther, what did he used to? He used to go and like beat himself. Right. thinking that so he knew he was the sinner and he thought he needed to like give you know make his body physically suffer to pay because he he was not assured of forgiveness the weight of so he was with the t total depravity right right he was that's where he was and that's why the doctrine of justification of faith became like the the angels of heaven like singing that like At 11, the volume 11.
0: (laughs) This one goes to 11.
1: (laughs) Why? Because he's, he, he, and that's why he wanted to hit that point home for people who were in despair because of their recognition of their own sin and the fact that they had to go to Rome and they had to have money to buy indulgences or how are they going to get out of the suffering of God's wrath? Because they believed the Roman church. They believed the papacy was telling them how to handle the problem of their depravity. Right. And it was, they were leading people into a dark pit. Right. And so we have to understand the context of Luther talking about sin and forgiveness, that forgiveness, he's trying to uh, ultimately his message is to, to tell somebody don't, there's no sin so great. Right. If, if you, if you have a contrite heart, you know, if your heart is broken because of your sin and you cry out, it's like uh, that's why Psalm fifty one was big for Luther.
0: Yeah, right? Lee, Lee says uh, in the chat room, he says, "Dang, it sounds like Luther had a lot of problems." Corn pop was a
2: bad dude,
0: and that's true. Luther uh, deal, dealt a lot with uh, the guilt of sin. In, in, exactly. in, you know, you uh, know the the stories of Luther going to confession when he was still in the Catholic Church, and that he would keep the, the priest in the confessional for hours at a time, and then he would go back to his room, and then he would remember something and rush back to the confessional to, to unload more. And, uh, you know, it... He was in, in, in despair over,
1: over the depravity of his own heart.
0: Yeah, and, but, but it should be noted that this is actually what drove Luther to an understanding of Romans and uh, salvation by faith alone. And Galatians, yeah, exactly. Is, is that he, he was not going to be able to cover his own sin? In other words, exactly. the depravity of man is what God used to bring him to a, a true understanding of 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 the uh, biblical salvation by faith
1: of what Jesus did. Yes, exactly. For, for his people, exactly.
0: All right. I'm sorry if I'm having too much fun with the uh, with the with the soundboard. It's just no. I keep
1: it on. Keep it's it going. just so
0: good. I'll call polluters accountable. That's right. Okay. Um, Caleb
1: said privately earlier, we can't use any Trump clips because
0: they're they're too offensive. They could be, some of them can be pretty. Uh, Okay. Um, Let's move on. And it's hard to know exactly where we should go. And the reason why is because we've gotten some great emails this week. Well, hey, let
1: me do my, I have a quick book review. Let's do it. Do we have a song for a book review?
0: No. Book
1: review, book review. Rob's going to do a book review. Okay. I lost Uh that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is a book Inscriptions from the World of the Bible Bible okay. Bible, Bible, Bible. Inscrip- I think it's Bible no.
0: What are we talking this, about?
1: This is from Peter Beckins okay. published by Hendrickson which yeah. is 2020 and it's a reader and introduction to Old Northwest Semitic and basically it goes through all inscriptions from ancient Israel. That's not
0: helping. We can't see anything that's on the... Okay, sorry. Keep going. I'm not holding the picture. I can't hold the picture. Sorry, I was looking at a different picture. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. (laughs) We can't see anything. Can you see that? No. It's way too close to that. There you go. There you go. Better. Okay. Keep going. It's
1: like Star Wars.
2: Okay,
0: keep going.
1: (laughs) So it covers like ancient inscriptions from canaan or the levant right you know the land of israel more broadly so it has phoenician you know aramaic hebrew but it also has moabite ammonite edomite and they're all classified according their own chapters and it has transcription sadly my one dis a big disappointment with this book is it doesn't have any pictures of the actual like inscriptions so you can't actually see it doesn't even have drawings like artist representation of these inscriptions, so that's a that's a major bummer because this is kind of a spendy spendy book, <laughs> but it does have transcriptions. So all the that I means all all the inscriptions are typed out in Hebrew font, right? And then given a translation, and then there's commentary on on each of them. So this is a a helpful. And then there's a glossary for each of the dialects. So there's a Phoenician glossary and Aramaic glossary. And uh, I think it's a really cool book Um, for those who've done Hebrew and some Aramaic and are interested in looking at inscriptions from from ancient Israel. um, This is a good book. I, it is a little bit spendy. I think it was like 50 or 60 bucks. Um, So um, but, but yeah, it's got good reviews in the, in the academic world. But again, the one, the one disappointment is that it's, it doesn't have those images. So it doesn't talk. So it doesn't do a lot of work with the scripts. Like for those who are interested in the scribal aspect of how, you know, what, how the letters were formed and the scripts, this isn't going to give you any of that. This is just on a linguistic level. You know, why does Aramaic spell a word this way, but Hebrew, it spells a different way, but it's the same word. You, you get into a little bit of that stuff, but not uh, actual visual script stuff. Anyway, that's my quick quick
0: book review. True international pressure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um great. Thank you. Let's uh let's move on. Actually, you know what I want to do? I want to move we had a I we, don't, had, we had a lot going on. We're gonna move to we're gonna m- move to Matt from Michigan. Now Matt from Michigan
1: He's becoming like a regular uh
0: Oh <laughs> uh, dude, I got I got one to we're gonna need 30. a intro song just for just Matt. for Matt from Michigan. I love <laughs> yeah. this guy. Matt from Michigan said that we were shaking our head during his clip last week, and I I don't remember that, and I apologize if we were shaking like our negatively. Heads. I don't know. That's what that's how it sounded. We weren't trying. I I thought your question was great, Matt from Michigan. I thought your question was great, so don't feel like we were downing your your question. He has another one, and and then he he called back again, and. Here's the thing about Matt's uh, messages. He leaves messages that range from about 4 minutes and 20 seconds to about 4 minutes and 30 seconds. And within that that span of time, he usually covers about 3 to 4 topics. And they all kind of are on the same vein. And, you know, so I have to go in and I basically have to, you know, kind of chop out each one. To, so that, you know, because each one is he's, – he's got these huge theological concepts that he's talking about. And to, to try to play the whole thing would – I just don't think it would work. So anyway, um, this one is actually from a week ago. And he's talking about the name of God. And uh, remember that when – I don't know how many people will remember this, but I believe that when we hear of the name of God – it doesn't mean a pronunciation. It doesn't actually even mean a, like a title like we would think of, like my name is Caleb or Rob's name is Rob or something like that. It's not talking about that in terms of a name. Within a Semitic understanding, the idea of a name is who the person is. It encapsulates who they are. So the full person, when we, when it says no one can, uh, what is it, uh, by no other name sh- shall anyone be saved, it means that... The person of God, the person person of Yeshua, no one will be saved outside of the person, that be- besides the person of Yeshua. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you have to say Yeshua or that if you say Jesus, you're going to hell or anything like that, uh, which is just totally ridiculous. Rather, it talks about the entire person. So let's listen to Matt from Michigan again. Or and, that
1: Jesus means hey, Hail Zeus or something yeah, like I mean, that.
0: I mean, the Internet... The internet and social media, I think, has done more damage to theology than. uh, Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's done a lot of damage. That's all I'm trying to say. Let's listen. It's
1: exposed people's.
0: Yeah, well, it's allowed. Gullibility. That's for sure. It's allowed people to go down rabbit holes and start to believe theological things because people say stuff. In other words, oh, somebody said something. uh, I'm going to believe that instead of resting on on you know evidence. Anyway, okay, let's listen to Matt from Michigan on Knowing God.
3: So we we talk about praying in Jesus' name, um, calling on the name of the Lord, but we know that that leads to a lot of people into the the sacred name movement. Your guy's assessment on it, which I believe is the correct assessment, is that it's the name is deeper than the actual name and wording. It's the actual depth and um, breadth of a individual. It's who they are. It's their glory, in a sense. So people use the word Jesus, Yeshua. Do they actually know that what he really is, is the Torah? And I know you talked about theonomy last week as well, and I think the week prior a little bit, too, and how MacArthur would have a different than we would hold to. But is that then not knowing the gravity or the depth of who Yeshua actually
0: is. Okay, and so I'm going to try to wrap up the comment because I, I edited, and I I don't want to I don't want Matt's comment to be lost at all. Basically, I think what Matt is trying to say is, if knowing God means like if if being in His name means representation of all God of all who God is, and Yeshua is the Living Word, and that incorporates all of the law. In other words. Uh, the first use of the law is that it reflects and shines forth who God is. We see God's holiness through the law, okay? So if that's the case, and you have brothers in the Lord like MacArthur and Piper and these guys who reject things in the Torah, like the Sabbath, the food laws, and whatnot, then are they really understanding his name, in in other words, who he is in total, and can we say that they are actually in his name? I think that's what he's getting at in this comment. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go for it first? Um,
1: yeah, I'm still trying to get trying to get clarity on what the point is. So go ahead, you you talk about it. Okay, what your thoughts are, and I'll keep listening.
0: Here's the thing: is that I think that we all have misunderstood. We're not as humans. What is it? Was it Luther? I know NT Wright always said at the beginning of his class, 30 percent of what I'm going to say is wrong. I just don't know what thirty percent it is." Um, I think that that's true for basically every believer. In other words, there are things that you, me, Matt from Michigan, people in the chat room, we all have things that are theologically incorrect. We don't know what they are. We have blind spots, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what they are, but we are incorrect in, in different things. And we're probably fighting very hard for certain things that might be incorrect. And yet we still are in covenant relationship with God through Christ. And the point is, is that... To know God does not mean to have knowledge about God. In other words, MacArthur, knowing God, even though he rejects the Sabbath, has nothing to do with his knowledge of whether or not God's law is in total still uh, applicable for Christians today or not. What knowing God means in the Semitic sense is that we are in covenant relationship uh, Adam knew his wife Eve and they can conce- and she conceived and gave birth to a child and so what does it mean to know it doesn't mean that he knew something about her it means that he was in covenant relationship and enjoyed the covenant relationship um, uh, add-ons that go with that covenant and uh, and so they had a child uh, and when we are and this is ultimately a husband and a wife are a perfect example of uh, God and and the ecclesia in that we have a very intimate relationship with God this this point right here goes into all aspects of theology. What I mean by that is that uh, this describes the fall of man, why God was separated from man or separated man from God, Uh, bringing man back into covenant relationship with him is only available through Christ, Um, all these kind of things come from the idea of covenant relationship and being in covenant relationship with God. So to know God does not mean to know something about God. It's not to know that the Sabbath is still in act today. It's not to know that we are supposed to keep a kosher diet. In fact, uh, Yeshua talks about children and that we are to have faith like a child. Well, a child certainly. I mean, my my child is a perfect example of this. Ben is eight years old now. He is a, I mean, I've described him as a theological savant. He is asking questions that I didn't ask until literally until I was in my 30s. And so he's already asking these questions. However, his knowledge of of the Bible, his knowledge of God, is still very much on an eight-year-old level. Does that mean that he is not in covenant relationship with God because he doesn't know all of the theological aspects of the Bible? The answer is no. It's not about... Knowledge of God—it's about knowing God in a covenant sense. Does that make sense? And do you think I'm on on the right track there?
1: Well, I think I, I like what you're saying, and I th- we'll, hopefully we'll hear from um, from the person who asked the question. Matt to from Michigan. Confirm. Yeah, Matt from Michigan. Um, my thought is, you know, he said, you know, that Yeshua is the Torah. That's kind of stuck out uh, to me. And um, what the way I look at it uh, in a certain way, I I see the scriptures as a type of incarnation, not 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 in the technical incarnation. It's an inscripturalization of who God is. In other words, it's I look at the scriptures as if God used humans and human artifacts. Right, like chisels and stone, right, or or pen and parchment, right, and leather or whatever, and and with language, with human language, painted a picture of who he is, painted a picture of that is his self-revelation. So when Yeshua says Moses wrote about me, right, or he says. After the resurrection, like on the road to Emmaus, we have that, that famous um, uh, event where Yeshua says, you know, starting from Moses and the prophets and the, and the Psalms talked about how the Messiah would suffer and die for, uh, and then the forgiveness of sins um, would be preached, I mean, You know, repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations of the world. I'm totally paraphrasing there, but. That this is uh the law and the prophets testify of God's righteousness. They are a they are a picture and reflect God's acts in history, his covenant faithfulness that reveal his character over time, culminating in the the incarnation of Yeshua's incarnation. So while I understand someone said, Oh, well, you know, in John it says jesus is the word and that i go to psalm 119 and it says the word is the torah therefore jesus is the torah i i'm not so comfortable just leaving it at that i feel like i w- i need to give some more nuance and so that's what i'm trying to do here is the scriptures reveal god's character by god's right it's the spirit of god that oversees uh you know we say that um what does it say in timothy you know um, all Scripture is God-breathed, right? So, um, so we we learn who God is through the Scriptures and by being believers, by you know being participants in the new creation, new covenant, and uh, and we have the Ruach Hakodesh, so we have the Holy Spirit as a seal. While during this during this holding time where we're still in the old creation, but we have the hope and promise of resurrection as a real thing as a, and our righteousness as an accomplished fact by what Yeshua has done for us. Uh, So our verdict is true that we are righteous in Messiah and that we are risen with him. That verdict is true in this moment, even though we are still in this uh, uh, flesh, uh, you know, old world situation. So, you know, they were talking about the inner new man is renewed daily, right? But the old man is perishing. So, of course, in in the end, when Yeshua comes back and and establishes his reign, um, these things will be transformed ultimately and all the death will be done away and tears will be done away. Okay, so why am I saying all this is because I believe MacArthur would agree with us about these big themes and T. Wright would agree, but and so and so i don't, i think that we are worshiping the same god
0: uh yeah absolutely
1: and so i i, I think that um no, so the idea of the name of god is is his character it's his covenant faithfulness um but see do i worship the same god as a mormon i would say no
0: exactly i would agree with you
1: i would say no why because they've hijacked it's no different than the golden calf. We were talking about that somewhere like golden calf is supersessionism, right? They took the name of God, they took the story of redemption from Egypt, and they said this is who did it. Is this gold calf, worship him. That's a. It, it, they totally cut out Moses. <laughs> they totally cut out the revelation of of the Mishkan that Moses was going to come with the Tabernacle. They said, "Oh, we got a new religion here." That's the first example of supersessionism. And I see Mormonism as the same thing. I see uh, Islam is the same thing. It's it's taking uh some little bits and pieces and then making it fashioning a new God and saying this is how to worship.
0: Ultimately, it's it, ultimately it's demonic because the what Satan and the yeah. demons what the Satan and the demons do is they take something that is good and they Right, because they can't
1: create it, because yeah, Satan's twi- not a creator. They, he he they only twist, has to manipulate.
0: Yeah, they twist it into something twist. that is evil. And this is exactly... Ah, <laughs> yeah.
1: The lights, are. the angels are agreeing with me
0: right now. <laughs> okay, before, you know, now, Matt from Michigan... Matt from Michigan is uh, quickly becoming the third host of the uh, Messiah Matters because... Mm, uh, Wait a
1: minute. M-M, mm, (laughs) Messiah Matters, Matt from Michigan. This is... Oh, oh. there's Gamatria
0: somewhere in here. Before we move on to another one of them... Mem, it's the letter mem. Yes, before we... Mem, mem. Before we move on to Matt's uh, other uh, uh, wonderful questions, let's throw someone else in here Just to mix it up a little little bit. Uh, This is, uh, Evelyn has some of the greatest questions uh, that we receive on this show. And uh, this is true to form. Here is Evelyn again.
2: Good morning. Uh, My question is stemming from Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul says, um, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross.
0: Okay, let's stop right there because let's read the entire context of what Evelyn is getting at. Uh, what did I just do? Oops, sorry. Hang on just a second. Let me get back to my notes here. And let's read this real quick. She's, uh, it says in Colossians 2, and I'm going to read from 8 through 15. C to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary, elemental who raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now let's go on with Evelyn's
2: And I've uh, grown up, obviously, being told that this was the law of God being nailed to the cross, or the law of Moses nailed to the cross. And I'm actually going back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 36, or 37, and it says, and they put over his head, over Yeshua's head, the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And so seeing that in Roman fashion, they would take the accusation against the person or their sin or their crime, and they would hang it above their head. And I'm wondering if I'm properly exegeting uh, Scripture and saying that maybe what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 2 is that what was hanging over the head of Christ just in the physical fashion was what was accused of him are accusations, the things that were against us were what was nailed to the cross.
0: Okay, so uh, I, I like the midrash, as it were, the um, kind of taking this passage and, and applying it to another one. However, personally, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about in Colossians. I think that we can link this to what Paul talks about in Romans when he talks about the idea that the, uh, it's not the law that's nailed to the cross, but it's the condemnation of the law. In other words, the consequence for disobedience is what he nailed to the cross. The punishment, because he took upon himself the punishment, and therefore he nailed to the cross the condemnation of the law. You know, the-
1: this, this this ties right back to our what we we're talking about. Luther's point, right, is the idea it's real sin. When 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 it says he forgave, if if it says God has forgiven me my trespasses, that's not a ma- That doesn't mean God's like, oh yeah, Rob's a sinner generally. Right. It's like quantifiable, right. right? I mean, it's it's
0: quantifiable transgressions that are against me. It's like a receipt. It's like a receipt. And you got Rob's receipt right Itemized here, and, and itemized. Itemized every single sin that has ever happened. But next to, on your ledger, it says paid, 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 paid. And, and why does it say paid? Because Christ came. Not he, by me. Not, not by you, but yeah. Christ came and he paid for it. In other words, the debt that is owed for each sin is nailed to the cross because Christ has paid it. By the way, this gets into the deity of Christ because only an infinite life can pay for for that sin, and for that right. many. Right, because how
1: could he do that for you and for me and, and for yeah. countless other people? Exactly. This is, and this gets into the efficacy of of Messiah's blood, because some people of a, what we would call an Armenian bent would suggest that Jesus died for you to have the option to be saved. In other words, here's he's handing out tickets. To a concert and everybody has a ticket. Now, whether they go to the concert or not and actually enjoy the benefit is up to them. It's their free will. But but the difficulty there is then we know in the end, not everybody goes to the concert. So the idea is there's a bunch of people out there that have tickets that are no longer valid because they miss the, they miss the, you know, they've expired, in other words. But that means each of those tickets was purchased by Messiah's blood. So is his blood sufficient to save a sinner? Or is it only a condition of a sinner's one of other conditions? Does Christ need to die for me? And I also need to believe it for it to be true.
0: Yeah. And this is where, or or
1: does he purchase it and it's done? Yeah. And this is, and and that's a tough, that's a, that's, this is where That's
0: the, a big split there. This is where the Calvinistic saying Christ's blood was sufficient for all, but effective for some. In other words, it, it, was, it, it could cover as many sins as need to be covered. Um, so Evelyn's in the chat room. She says, uh, my apologies for not articulating that as clearly. What you said about the penalties against us is what I agree with.
1: I I think she's, it's a, it is a really good point because we're, we've got two things nailed to the cross. We have Yeshua and we have the accusations against him. The difference is that the accusations against him were true. You know, in other words, King of the Jews, that's actually true. Right. In a sense that they didn't know. Right. And it was in three languages and they thought it as mocking, Right, they they want it, and then at, we have one scene in one of the gospels. Forgive me, I don't know, but they're like, "Take it down, take it down." We don't, we want it to say he said he was, right, not that he is. And and Pilate's like, "Nope, what nope. I've written, I've written." Yeah,
0: I'm, yeah, it's good the way I, I did it.
1: So it's it, I'm glad that Evelyn brought our attention to that in thinking about this, is because uh, the accusations versus what is true, you know, it, is an important point.
0: Let's do some cleanup here. Uh, Just some guy wrote in and said, fantastic show. I think he's talking about two shows ago. To make sure I understood your answer of yes and no correctly, paraphrasing your statement, Yeshua's sacrifice covered spiritual positioning in heaven, but physical positional cleanliness to approach the earthly temple in the future must still be addressed with animals and mikvahs. This is why we can be corpse-defiled and continually unclean, yet positionally righteous. With that in mind, is there any earthly sacrifice that Yeshua actually took the place of that would be done away with? I'm thinking the answer is no. I think we actually already covered this. Yeah,
1: I think, but here's a perfect example that just occurs to me that's important. When Yeshua heals a leper, the lepers, yeah, right? So a person, we know from the Torah, someone who has tzarat, they... Can't, they they are banished from holy space. They right. can't even go to the temple now. When he heals them, he says, go to the priest and offer what Moses commanded.
0: Oh, yeah. What yeah, does that exactly. mean? They would have
1: to go, they would have to do a mikvah. They would have to have an interview with a Cohen that's saying, yeah, I was leprosy and now I'm cleansed. And they would have to go under the umbrella now of the authority of the priesthood and then offer the, the associated sacrifices. So Yeshua didn't just, like, give them a, okay, yeah, you can go right into the holy place now. Like, here's a ticket. No, you don't even need to ask. Just show this to the any priests, you know, and they'll right. leave you alone. Like, nothing like that.
0: Okay. Um, last week, well, sh- oh, man, this is so difficult. Um, I don't know where to go at this point. We have, I think we have enough time to go back to our third co-host. Let's go back to Matt from Michigan. This is a... Um, This is, okay, I want to do this one first, but he's got another one that's probably even better. But this one is a long comment, so this might take the rest of our time. Let's listen to this. A minute and 32 seconds. Matt from Michigan.
3: So I'm still not 100% there with you guys, though you've got me thinking in that direction.
0: This is in reference to our discussion on the Torah being uh, given in some fashion to uh, uh, Adam. In other words, that there was a Torah, there was God's law was given to his people in some fashion before Moses, is, is what he's
3: responding to, I believe. And, um, you know, it made me think, so, you know, I've always kind of viewed it as, you know, how is God's holiness, um, what does that have to do with me not eating pork, or what does that have to do with a, uh, you know, abstaining from marital relations? while uh, it's that time of the month, that kind of thing. And uh, what does that have to do with God's holiness and Him being set apart? Um, And is the Torah then the revealed portion of God, or is it, you know, again, kind of what I had said with the whole um, just setup of a set of rules for us and commands to follow? But then I started thinking, you know, maybe I'm doing what... um, Jesus, Yeshua talked about with the Pharisees, the Pharisees where, you know, I'm, I keep looking at the Torah as the minutia, which still is very important, but I'm neglecting the weightier matters of the Torah. I am not seeing it for what it truly is, which is love. It's uh, loving your neighbor, it's loving God. And so those are what God's attributes are, and in some small case, this is a way for us to be holy like he is holy, because we can then get to exemplify those very things through his command.
0: Okay, so there's a lot going on there. Can I can I make a comment? Please. Uh,
1: this is great. I, 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 uh, I like uh, the way he's putting this. Um, one thing that might help is like, okay, where when did the Torah come to be? And of course, in the rabbinic tradition, the Torah as well as the name of the Messiah, you know, things that preceded the creation of the world, right? There's seven things, you know, or whatever. Um, but if the goal of creation is new creation from the beginning, if if the new, what we call the new covenant is not time bound, that means what what is prophesied in Jeremiah 31 is in God's heart before creation. That he's going to write his law on the hearts of his people, that they're going to be his people. He's their Elohim and their sins have been dealt with. In other words, if this is if this is in God's heart before creation, that means God knew sin was going to be in the world and it was going to have to be dealt with. But in the and he knew the cost of the redemption. But he also knew what the new creation was, was uh, people that love him with all their heart. They abide in love and that there is uh, there is the beautiful fellowship of God with his with his people. That's the end. That's the goal of all the creation. And if that's true, then the Torah is an intricate part of creation and God's revelation But it doesn't, we we don't know how much Torah people knew at different times. Like, there's people like, oh, well, Abraham knew all the Torah. And they'll try to pick something that was revealed in Sinai. I think we've talked about this before, like the book of Jubilees. They try to say, okay, Noah kept the feast of tabernacles, you know, And, and they'll go back and they have a scene or whatever, you know, Noah's keeping tabernacles. Well, and it's like that's second century Jews trying to work through this same problem. Now, I disagree with how they went about it, but the point is, the God knows the end from the beginning, right? And that new creation covenant life, eternal life and reflecting God's holiness, purity, love, truth, um, all the, all the blessings, um, were, uh, uh, at that, at that in in God's heart at the beginning, he knew that is where this is going to lead. That is the ultimate fruit of this whole, creation is is the yes. elect and the redemption and then back to what we quote before the first the first point of the of the westminster catechism you know to glorify god why, why why men to glorify god and enjoy him forever to abide in the blessings of the covenant of abraham right forever that's why that we why do why do we all go hang out with the patriarchs at the table in the, in the feast you know that's the image of of the blessings of the abrahamic covenant by god's grace that's the purpose of, of, of creation. And so uh, for me, that's, that's how I understand that. That's how I come about it. If, if we come to it like the timeline and we try to think, okay, history, God had one way of doing things and then he seems to shift in a different way. Then, then I'm trying to like, I have to package everything in different dispensations and try to do math and, and, I just it's not compelling to me it's not a convincing way I, I think we need to understand the new covenant as not time bound and that the Torah on the heart
0: of the believer is God's heart is That's, God's you, purpose I, yeah I would agree with that um,
2: But guess what if you're like me I'm not going to have you, your taxes are going to be raised not cut
0: but the, the point is this uh, I think that going back to Matt's original <laughs> question <laughs> sorry I had to throw that in there corn pop was a bad dude <laughs> Um, or his, his initial comment in that, in that <laughs> section is that, uh, he doesn't understand how things like, uh, eating pork or, um, or, you know, having relations with your wife during her time of the month would re, you know, go against God's holiness. Okay. I understand this. And, and, uh, when I was young, I had a kind of a problem with people would say, well, you know, back in, in biblical times, back when, when Moses was around, uh, if you didn't keep pork the the right way, then uh, it would go bad and you could get really sick from it. And that's why God didn't, you know, the wouldn't allow people. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's, there's some worms sort of parasites. It, yeah, or exactly. Or, you know, it, uh, it, you know it, it would bring disease that they didn't know how to deal with, but and what has what has ultimately happened is the church has used this to say, "See, it doesn't apply to us anymore. I reject this out of hand and, and and the reason why is because to me, there is a very specific reason that speaks to covenant relationship with God now I don't know that for every single i don't know why for every single uh for every single command I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm able to Uh, Tell you every single meaning of every single command and when I was younger eating pork was I basically said look The it doesn't matter why God told us to do it. God told us not to do something and therefore it That's why we don't do it. It's not because there's a meaning behind it that we don't do it. We don't do it because God told us not to now with that said we can see you know uh, uh, the idea of, of um, you know having relations with your wife on uh, during a uh, menstrual cycle that actually plays directly into life and death and death is what separates us from God um, or I shouldn't say that sin is what separates us from God death is the separation. Um, with that said, when we look at things like pork, I have a hypothesis and I was talking in the office today with my dad about this, Um, my, my thought is that, um, the animals that we're not allowed to eat, that God says not to eat are scavengers. They'll put anything into their body. They'll eat whatever they'll eat dead things. And ultimately this is a, I think that this might be a sign of what we're not supposed to do is put things into our, just put anything into our body. In other words, we are renewed through Christ. We don't just take whatever pleases us. We don't just take and take and take. Instead, we have to say no to certain things. Um, unlike the animals that we're, we don't eat, the animals that we don't eat, they'll put anything into their body, including dead stuff. And uh, so that's where we say no. Um, let's piggyback Matt's comment with Matt's other comment, because this one is only 16 seconds, and I love this.
3: Is death then the inevitable, natural repercussion of sin? Or was death something that God... Um, did God create death, or is death and or is death a natural byproduct of sin?
0: Okay, so I, I have pondered this greatly in the past couple of weeks because of a, um, a teaching that I'm putting together. I think that when the Torah talks about death, you know, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. I think that we as humans have a misunderstanding of death the way that the Bible talks about human death. When an animal dies, that's it. The animal ceased to exist. Okay? However, not so with humans. I think that death should be understood as separation. When Adam and Eve died, or when Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated from God. They were taken out of the garden, and they were no longer in covenant relationship with God. When you die on this earth, your soul is separated from your body. But it doesn't mean that you cease to exist. In fact, we know that there's a resurrection, not only for the, for the uh, righteous, but for the unrighteous as well. And I believe in eternal punishment of the wicked, which means that even the wicked don't cease to exist when they are punished or when they are judged. God throws them into the lake of fire and they are eternally separated from God. That is eternally not in covenant relationship with God. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. However, those who do believe and, and do, are uh, given righteousness through Christ are live forever. And what does that mean? They are in covenant relationship with God forever. So I don't think that death, so sin separates us from God in covenant relationship. In other words, sin came into the world and God could not live or could not commune with, with man in covenant relationship because there was sin there. And so we were separated from God. There was a death there. There was separation. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the the fall of man did not um, did not bump the needle for God's record, you know, for God's plan. Uh, it didn't like make God have to go back to the drawing board, you know, and figure out what right. he was going to do. And particularly if we come from yeah. the presupposition that the new covenant is uh, precedes creation, right? You know, the plan or the goal of that that there will be humans who actually love God with all their heart, soul, and strength and that they will live forever in, in, in covenantal blessing, you know, with him. And so, um, but yeah, so the idea of death, you know, we're, we're, we're only told what we see in scripture, the way, you know, Paul concisely puts it, the wages of sin is death. Um, And, you know, and like you quote, the day you eat of it, you, you know, you will die. And, and then we have, you know, death comes into the world. Death came in, I think, in is it Romans 5? You know, death came in yeah, through Adam.
0: Through one man, right.
1: So, yeah, it's, a, it's big concepts. Yes.
2: It's, how many push-ups you want to do here, pal?
0: Okay. Um, I think that we're going to stop there for this week. We have actually a lot of things that we could talk about. But I think that we've pretty much come to the end of the time. We had some really good conversations in the chat room as well. Um, And so I told Kelly in the chat room that uh, next week we will talk about her question. And her question was, did not Yeshua's atonement replace the high priestly's specific atonement duties on behalf of himself and the people on the Day of Atonement? And my answer is No. It did not, but we'll talk about that next week. We also have uh, something from last week's chat room that uh, talked about Acts 15 and the requirement to abstain from things uh, polluted by idols. But then Paul in, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians 8 talks about that we're allowed to eat things offered to idols. At least that's what it sounds like. So what's going on there? Aren't these in contradiction? So we got some really good things in the chat room. And um, I'm not positive we might have one more audio clip. Maybe not. Maybe we listen to all the audio clips. So what does that mean? That means give us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. We love hearing from you. Matt from Michigan, give us a call again. We love hearing from you as well. Uh, Supplying some great content for the show. Also, you can uh, send us an email, chegatortoresource.com. It is C-H-E-G-G, C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com We appreciate everyone who supports this show but we also appreciate everyone who subscribes. Go do that now. Thanks to everyone who was in the chat room. Great discussion today. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. And you know what that one thing is? is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters.